Today we're going to read from Genesis 39, um, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. That's page 43 in the Church Bible. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who were taken from there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of the, Is- of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in the eyes in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar was in charge and put him in charge of everything in his household and entrusted him into the care of everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph's care, in the care of everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything he had, except for the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph every day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, He left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until her master came, his master came home. Then she told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard this story, his wife had told him, saying, How your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph to charge, in charge of all that he held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. <clears throat> Thank you so much for reading, Mal. Uh, it's, a long, it's a long passage. Thanks for reading that. If you haven't met me before, my name is Al, and I'm one of the uh, members of the church here. And thank you as well to Tobias for praying, so I, I won't pray again. Well, a, a few weeks ago, some of our teenagers got the results for their GCSEs and their A-levels, and... A very big congratulations to all of them. Lots and lots of hard work. Because those were results mainly from 
exams and, and tests. And, and as we know, test exams, they're not a very pleasant experience. They take ages and ages to prepare for. They can lead to anxiety and sleepless nights. And then on the day, you're up against the clock and against everyone else in a giant competition. Nobody really likes that. And the teachers don't really like exams and the schools as well. It's just a lot of work to organise. So we might ask ourselves, well, why bother with exams and tests? Can't we just dispense with them entirely? And, and all of us know the answer to that, which is that as much as we dislike exams and tests, they just happen to be a, a very effective way to get people to... It's hard to get someone to study really hard without some kind of test. Tests are an effective way to get people to grow and develop. Now, we see something a little bit like that in Genesis chapter 39, which is that God sends challenges and tests Joseph's way. Now, we're currently in a sermon series following the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And Joseph, you remember, is a, a unique and very special character. So far, the story of, of Genesis is that we're, we're looking for a hero. After Adam and Eve were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, they had the promise that one day there would be a hero who would crush the head of Satan and save God's people. And so far in the book of Genesis, Joseph is the closest thing to a hero. Remember, through those dreams, he's chosen by God, but he's rejected by the people, betrayed by his own, cast down and humbled, but raised up by God to save the lives of millions. Does that make you think of anyone? Well, yes, of course, he's this unique figure. He's a Christ type, pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ, and there to prepare God's people in faith for the hero who would come one day in the future. So Joseph is this very unique figure. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. But how does God prepare Joseph for this mighty work? Well, it's by taking this this 17-year-old, who's unwise and naive at times, and putting him through 13 years of pain and suffering. So at the age of 30, he's ready to run Egypt and to be used by God in a great big rescue mission. Now, we're so very different to Joseph in, in so many ways. We're not a Christ type. We're not going to be used in a great big rescue mission. But that way that God worked in Joseph to prepare him and to mould his character is the, the same way that God works in each and every one of us. He also allows pain and, and suffering and, and challenges into our lives to mould our character. Now, as we hear that, those words sound shocking to the world around us. To many people around us, this life is all that they have. And so they want their life to be comfortable. And they're, they're pursuing happiness and, and pleasure. So to hear that the God of the Bible allows pain and and suffering into this world, well, that sounds terrible. What kind of a God would do that? And it's so easy for us to absorb that mentality because we're surrounded by it. But if we do that, then that will make it very hard for us to stand firm when suffering and hardship comes our way. It, it, it just will. We'll be, we'll be confused. We'll think, well, why does God, why is he allowed this? I thought that he loved me. We'll be tempted to be giving, giving in to self-pity. We might start to, to doubt God's goodness. God, if, you, if you're really a good God, why have you allowed this? And the moment we start to doubt God's goodness, 
then we'll be tempted to give in to disobedience and, and sin. And so if, we, if we're gonna get, if we're gonna stand firm, then we need to expect that this is the pattern through which God sometimes works. And, and more than just standing firm, in fact, the New Testament says it in many places that we can even rejoice in the midst of suffering, knowing that God is achieving his perfect purposes. Romans 5 says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, it's a very difficult thing to hear that in the midst of suffering. And the Lord Jesus told us that we're meant to weep with those who weep and, and mourn with those who mourn. It's not the suffering itself that we're rejoicing in, but in the knowledge that through whatever happens in this life, God is control, in control in every step and he's using everything that comes our way. Now that's what we're going to be seeing here in the, in the life of Joseph. And we're going to split our time up into three sections. We see these tests that God sends Joseph's way there are trials and everyday challenges, there are temptations, and there are also much more severe suffering. So firstly, trials. Look with me at verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Well, here we see that Joseph's life had been turned upside down. Before he had been the favoured son, he had special privileges, he had special privilege, uh, presents, but now he was sold as a slave. Psalm 100, 105 retells the story. It says that he had chains on his feet and a, a chain around his neck. We can imagine that he was probably beaten and, and abused to teach him his place, and he could easily end up wondering, well, why has this happened? This is because I've done something wrong. Is God punishing me for something that I've done wrong in my life? And we know from the narrative that that's not the case. Now, God is a loving Father, and sometimes he does punish individuals for things that they've done which are wrong, often by just exposing us to the painful consequences of the sinful choices that we've made. But that's not the case with Joseph. Now, he has done a few things which perhaps we think are unwise or foolish. So he's... Um, he gave this bad report about his brothers. And later on in the narrative, we discover, we discover that Joseph is this amazing manager. And so probably he was just reporting to his father that his older brothers were mismanaging the father's property. Was that a sinful thing to do? Probably not. Was it unwise? Perhaps. But it wasn't a big mistake that he'd made. He also shared some dreams that he'd been given by God. These dreams were a revelation from the Lord about what was going to happen in the future. And he told his parents and his brothers, was this a sinful thing to do? No. Was it an unwise thing to do? Perhaps. But it wasn't that God was punishing him for some big, clear mistake that he'd made. Instead, he was suffering because of the sinful actions of others. The jealousy of his brothers who'd sold him into slavery. But through all of that, what we see is that God was with him. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Even though Joseph's life had been turned upside down, God was with him each and every step of the way. And God was, help, was able to help him to make the most of those very difficult circumstances. 
verse 5 and 6, from the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Now, as we read this over here, we're meant to be thinking that Joseph is very different from everybody else that we've met in the book of Genesis. Well, for one, Joseph is a, is a person who has these extraordinary gifts from God. He's extraordinary gifts of management and administration. He arrives in Potiphar's house, and before you know it, he's running the whole place. Then he arrives in the prison, and before you know it, he's running the whole place. Then he arrives in Pharaoh's court, and before you know it, he's running the whole place. So he's got these unique, special gifts in management and administration. That's all part of God's plan in the rescue mission that comes later on in the book. But as well as that, it's not just his gifting. He's also a person of genuine integrity here. And that's not like anyone else in his family. Here, Potiphar is absolutely able to trust him. But remember what Joseph's dad, Jacob, was like. Jacob was a liar and a thief. He stole the birthright from his own brother. Then he cheated his father-in-law. So he's not like his dad at all. And he's also not like his older brothers. Remember Levi and Simeon. They murdered the men of a village and then stole all of their property. But Joseph here is a person of genuine integrity. He's not perfect, but he is a person who's seeking to live with obedience. And even though he was a person of faith and obedience, God allowed him to be tested even more by letting him be sold into slavery. Now, one of the images that the Bible often uses to describe this is that of a, a sort of a fiery furnace. You know, if you have a goldsmith and he has a piece of gold and he wants to use this for a special purpose, then what does he do with the gold? Well, he throws it into the fire, exposing it to a huge temperature. And it's in the flames of the fire that all of the impurities are, are burnt up. And so that gold shines even more brightly. And so it can be used for a special purpose, such as a ring or a necklace. Well, so too for, for Joseph, that God allowed him to be exposed to this great trial, this challenge as a slave. And so he was able to, to, to refine his faith even more. Now, that was one of the ways in which God worked for him in, in the workplace. And the workplace is also a place where God works in, in us. We're, we're not special like Joseph. We don't have a, a big mission plan to rescue millions. But God is able to use the workplace to, to change us. Now, you may remember back at the, the beginning of the, the story in Genesis that God had cursed this world. And so, as a result, work had gone from being something which is often fulfilling to instead being exhausting, frustrating, and, and, and stressful. Just doing our daily job is, is a very challenging thing. And that's also true because we make mistakes and the people we work with make mistakes and, and we're sinful and the people we work with are sinful. So the workplace can be a terribly stressful place. But just like for Joseph, God is with us during those times. And that doesn't mean we're going to get a big promotion like he did. But rather that in those moments, God uses them to, to chip the rough edges off us and to, to teach us to pray and to look beyond our, our own challenges to want to reach out to others and to serve him. And in those moments, he begins to use us as we shine even more brightly in, in the fairness of, of difficult times. These are the, the trials, the, the challenges of, of everyday life. 
God was using in Joseph's life, he uses in our lives as well. We see here trials, but God also exposed Joseph, allowing him to be exposed, to very strong temptation. Have a look with me at verse 6 and 7. So halfway through verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. So Joseph had called the attention of his master, but also of his master's wife. He had it all. He had the brains. He had the charm. He had the good looks. And it wasn't long before Potiphar's wife was very interested And Joseph was a real man of flesh and blood. This was a temptation to him. But through the temptation, he stood firm. Verse 9. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Well, obviously, it's a sin against Potiphar to do this. But Joseph sees that the the primary sin would be against God. And so he resists time and again. And again, as we read this story in the context of Genesis, we're meant to be thinking, well, Joseph is different here to other people we've seen before. He's a person of integrity. We think of Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden, where there was one thing that they were not to take. And they took that thing. We're here for Joseph. There's one thing that he's not to take, but he passes the test. We think of his older brothers, of Reuben and of Judah. They were men of sexual immorality. But Joseph here is a person of sexual purity. He passes the test. Now, he's not perfect, but he is appointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, who also faced temptation those 40 days in the desert with the devil. And Joseph here is a pointer to the Lord Jesus Christ in his integrity. But God certainly allows him to face a very great temptation. That temptation grows and grows as Potiphar's wife's advances become ever more abundantly clear. Maybe at first she was just making excuses to spend time with him. And then she started to become more informal, joking with him and complimenting him. And then maybe it started to become inappropriate. They would be flirting. Perhaps she would be wearing less clothing. She'd begin to drop hints. But then inappropriateness became a proposition. Come to bed with me. Or even maybe a command. Come to bed with me. And this happened again and again and again. Until eventually she cornered him. Verse 9 and verse 10. No, not verse 9 and 10. Verse 11 and 12. See what it says. Then one day he went into the house to attend to his duties. And none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he just ran out of the house. Well, the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul says, Flee sexual immorality. And he's almost certainly referring to this incident over here. Sexual sin is so enticing and so destructive that the right way to deal with it, the temptation, is simply to run away. We live in a a city and in a society that's full of sexual temptation. What might it look like for us, friends, to, to flee sexual temptation? Well, maybe it means that there's certain places that we, we shouldn't go. Over the years, I've I, I chatted to 
some Christian businessmen, and they'd say on certain kinds of, of business trips, sexual temptation would be thrust upon them in the kind of way where it meant that fleeing sexual temptation would mean just getting out of that business trip and not going in the first place. Well, all of our circumstances are different. What, what might it look like for us to flee sexual immorality? Maybe there are places that we shouldn't go to, certain kinds of people we shouldn't hang out with, or certain kinds of events or parties we, we shouldn't really go to, or certain kinds of locations where we know that sexual temptation is going to be thrust upon us and we just need to get out of that place. Or maybe certain locations. Obviously, the internet, of course, is, is a great place of, of sexual Temptation. I remember a friend of mine, he was struggling with the internet, and the way that he fled, fled sexual temptation for a while is that he just brought me all of his devices. He brought the laptop, the phone, the iPod, when they were still using those, a few other things as well. Um, and he was really struggling, and he was taking that struggle seriously. He had to take them all. Well, what might it look like for us? We're all, we're all different. How can we protect our families? And maybe it's from... Maybe it's by having some kind of filtering software or accountability software like Covenant Eyes or or limiting the the number of devices or limiting late-night access or limiting certain channels and and programs. We want to be taking this seriously, fleeing from sexual temptation and and talking to other people as well and and praying together. That, That can be very helpful. Well, this is the specific temptation in view, sexual temptation. But of course, there's all kinds of temptations that we might have in life to be selfish, to be angry, to be greedy, to to be lazy. It's not wrong to be tempted. It is wrong to indulge that temptation in our mind. It is wrong to to act on that temptation. We, We need to fight against it. James chapter 1 verse 13 says... When tempted, nobody should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Well, God is in charge of everything. He's not responsible for the temptation that we face. Most often, that just bubbles up from our own heart, and we need to fight against it. The non-Christians in this world don't have that same kind of battle because they're happy to indulge these desires. But Christians need to be resisting and and repenting. And that can be exhausting. But God uses that difficulty, that struggle, to help to grow us and change our character to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we see here he's doing for Joseph. He sends trials sends temptation, and then even worse, things start to get worse for poor Joseph. God allows suffering to come into his life as well. But Joseph was was cornered, and he resisted Potiphar's wife. But after he resisted her, she decided that she was going to frame him. Look with me at verse 17. That Hebrew slave that you brought us came to me to make sport of me, But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Well, Joseph is framed and things go from bad to worse. Potiphar is absolutely furious, um, but he doesn't do the thing that you would expect him to do, which is to put Joseph to death. Maybe he doesn't entirely believe his wife's story. Maybe he's furious that now he's lost Joseph. He's such a good slave. And he ships him off to a high security prison. 
the, the king's prison. And there Joseph is out of the frying pan into the fire. This is a double humiliation. Not only has he been sold as a slave, but now he has become a prisoner as well. And this double humiliation is another little pointer to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was humbled not only to become a person, but also to the cross. And things just look so terrible for Joseph. But through it all, God is very much at work looking after him. Verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, where the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. Where God was looking after Joseph, he put him in exactly the right spot to meet Pharaoh in a few years' time. He was working in him and continuing to mould his character And it seems like the warden had got a tip-off that an amazing slave was coming his way. And before long, Joseph was running the prison and the warden could take a bit of a holiday. But this would have been very, very difficult for Joseph. He had no idea of what was coming in the future. He just had to live his life day by day by faith, trusting in the sovereign promises of God, even in the midst of terrible suffering and pain that he was going through. Now, friends, sometimes that is the the case for us as well, that God allows a measure of pain and and suffering into our lives, and we need to be ready for that day to come. We don't know when it will. But I remember a friend of mine saying this uh, um, with, with some suffering that he had been through. This is a friend I was at Bible college with. He's a wonderful guy, hugely smart. He had a PhD in astrophysics. He came top of the class in Bible college. And he was also just genuinely very, very humble. After Bible college finished, we all went our separate directions to start our first job as an assistant minister. And in his first year, he got eye cancer. And this was just a a terrible thing. Trip after trip to go to the hospital. He had to go through all these sessions of chemotherapy. He lost all of his hair. It was a terrible experience, this ordeal. By God's grace, he was able to come through it. I remember speaking to him afterwards, to him and his wife. We went for this walk along the river. I said, this must just have been so terribly hard. And he said, the thing that's helped us to stand firm is that 10 years earlier, while he and his wife were together at university, that they had teaching together on the sovereignty of God. And that had like prepared them or inoculated them so that when suffering came their way, they were ready for it and able to stand firm in the confidence and the knowledge that God uses it for good, even though they, they couldn't see all the ways. Because the reality is that we won't always be able to see the exact ways in which God is working for good. Now that, I think, is one of, the, one of the things that's different with the Joseph story, isn't it? You see, for him, eventually, in the future, he has this big aha moment when he can look back and see, oh, it all makes sense. God was preparing me for this huge task and 13 years of suffering was worth it because millions of people's, millions of people's lives were saved. But for most of us, there won't be a big aha moment like that in the future. We're simply working through day-by-day life in the knowledge that God has allowed some measure of pain and suffering into our lives 
not to necessarily prepare us for a big task, but to just grow us to be more like Jesus so that we can shine wherever he's put us. So friends, let me ask you, what are the things that are are difficult for you in your life at the moment? I imagine you can think of five or ten at the top of your head. Financial difficulties, relationship difficulties, family difficulties, health struggles, stress at work, all kinds of things which are hard. And I know for some of us, we're travelling through moments which feel like a real dark night of the soul. Well, in those moments, it's not wrong for us to cry out and to say, Lord, can't you just take this thing away? It's, it's fine for us to pray like that. But in those moments, we're also tempted to say, Lord God, what are you doing here? Where is this all going? Why me? The answer, though, isn't always so clear as it is for Joseph. There's not necessarily a big thing that he's preparing our lives for in the future. Rather that, God allows pain and suffering and tests into our lives to change us, to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not easy for us to hear that when we're in the midst of suffering, but we need to remember that Jesus is our loving God. He loves us so much that he has suffered a great deal, much more than any of us ever did or will, and that he allows these difficult things into our lives because he loves us. And because he wants us to shine a little bit more like him so that he can use us for his perfect purposes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who is the the perfect high priest, who intercedes for your people, and that you know just what it is to truly suffer. And thank you that time again, right through the scriptures. You show us that you use the the painful things in this world that you've allowed into our lives, just like you did for Joseph. But that when you do that, it's always with your perfect purposes in mind. Heavenly Father, you know that sometimes we, we struggle when we can't see your perfect purposes. We can't understand how you are working for good. But we thank you that we know that most of all you're working on our character. And so we pray, help us, moment by moment, day by day, to to keep on trusting you that our character might be changed so that we can shine for you a little bit more wherever you've put us. In your name, amen. amen.